Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right. Y'all, I'm back. This is exciting. Once again, uh, maybe turn me down just a hair bit, just a, just a smidge. More or less, because y'all know I'm going to scream at some point. It's what I do, and I can, that's better. Yeah, there we go. Man, I'm so excited. So this is my last night with you guys in junior high, um, so thank you for having me back. Super excited. I am not smashing anybody's face in a cake tonight. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not handcuffing anybody tonight. I know tonight's actually going to be a little bit heavier. Um, so I want you guys to bear with me tonight. Um, we're going to get into some kind of deeper topics tonight. Uh, so go ahead and hit that first slide. We're going to jump right into this. Tonight we're talking about God is worthy of lament. Does anybody know what lament means? It's kind of a big word. I get that. It's an older word. Anybody? Take an idea. Yes, ma'am. Okay, okay, giving in to something. I can, I can go with that. Sir, to mourn. Okay, now we're getting on the right track. So uh, hit that next slide. The, the actual definition of lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Now, I have an example for you. I drove to Starbucks at the kind of end of the pandemic there. I guess it's still going on. But and noticed that Starbucks was closed due to staffing issues. I had a moment of lament. It was absolute disastrous mourn. It was weeping. It was crying. I drove through the line. I did not get one of my six iced Americanos throughout the day. And therefore, it was a huge moment of just like, God, why have you forsaken me? This is terrible. And I realized I sound like a classic North End white girl, but that's fine because realistically, that's what I am at heart. Let's call that what it is. I don't own a pair of Uggs, but, you know, <laughs> change can happen. So... We're talking about a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Now, the series that we're going through is called To Be Human. And we talked about in week one taking those masks off and that God is worthy of confession. And how the Psalms allows us to embrace this idea of humanity. Being real with ourselves. And I think this is a really important topic tonight because it's missed in the Christian world. Anybody know how many Psalms there are? Sir, 150, very good. Out of 150 psalms, five different books in the psalms, you've got 150 psalms, almost 50% of them involve a lament of some kind. Some type of deep, passionate sorrow, this crying out to God. And I think that there's, there's a connection to this, that we in the Christian world have kind of isolated ourselves. We, we've been told that we need to buck up and not realistically just kind of whine at God and cry to God. But, but this is being real. This is being human. If you live on this earth and you think that your life is going to be flowery beds of ease with kitty whiskers and candies, you are delusional. And I'm really sorry. And life is going to get really hard, and that's not going to be super fun when you realize that the kitty whiskers are more like a demon cat as it's like slicing your face off, okay? 
I just had to stuff my cat in his little box today to take him to the vet. Um, he gave me a new piercing. Uh, it was real exciting. Uh, so that's what life is sometimes. It's just a cat claw right to the face. And it's going to happen. But there's a process of being Christian and following God and realizing that sometimes life isn't going to be great, but how do we find Jesus in those moments? Because that's a real question. I get that question quite a lot. Well, where's God in dot, dot, dot? If God loved me, then dot, dot, dot. Why wouldn't he or why would he dot, dot, dot? And usually it has some form of sorrow, pain, struggle, or disappointment associated with it. That's a challenging place to come to when we look at the character of God. So we're going to jump in, hit that next slide. We're going to go into uh, to Psalm 89. And this is kind of a long one, so bear with me. We're going to read the second half. And then we're going to jump in and talk about the first half later. So if you have your Bibles, turn to it. For those of you who don't use paper anymore, you can use your phone for that. Please don't text. Be respectful. Uh, if you don't have your phone or a Bible, you're old school, you've got a flip phone, it'll be on the slide. So let's go ahead and read this. We're going to start in verse 38. It uh, would help if I actually had the right spot in my Bible. <laughs> okay, so verse 38. It says, but you have rejected... You have spurred, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. Now I want you guys to hold on to that position, because that right there, you have renounced the covenant with your servant, that's going to come into play here in just a little bit. It's a really, really important piece there. It says, you've renounced the covenant with your servant, and you have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls, and you have reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by him plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes, and you have made all of his enemies rejoice over him. Indeed, you have turned, you, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. This dude is negative if you haven't got that. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where in your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, your servant has been mocked. How I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations. The taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked. And with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. That's heavy. That is a dude that has just kind of like gone through it, and he's just like, I'm done. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, we welcome you tonight. We ask that your truth be shown. Father, I pray over hearts this evening that are going through the ringer, that are going through life. That your love would be cast upon them, and you'd snatch those hearts that you would show who you are, your true glory, your true splendor. Father, may your presence be felt here this evening. Jesus, we say you're welcome. 
that you push me out of the way so that your son is the only thing that's seen on this stage. Father, we give this time to you. We say we're here, we're open, we're expectant. Jesus, come. Amen. So, I have a question for you guys. Let's, let's start this off with a little bit more positive note here, okay? Um, how many of you have asked for like a really, really special gift in your life? Okay? Those of you who don't have hands off, you just, you don't want anything. That's cool. I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. What'd you, what'd you want? What'd you want? You, you don't know. You're like, yeah, I asked for something special. I don't really know what it was though. Oh, yes, ma'am. A hoverboard. Okay. I would die. I am not that coordinated. I tried skateboarding once. It didn't work. Uh, okay. Yes, ma'am. An electric bike. Wow. You guys have some like big gifts. Those are expensive. Ma'am. A pet ferret. Those are dirty. Okay. <laughs> They're nasty. <laughs> but they are cute. They are cute. Here's the thing. I've asked for some pretty amazing things. You know how, like, you go through life, you, you kind of get that expectation. And you've, uh, how many of you, like, have wanted something for your birthday? And you've been super pumped about it. You're super stoked about it. Your parents may have even, like, played up, like, yo, birthday's going to be rad this year. And then birthday comes, and gift time comes, and you, like, you go through the process. You're like, all right, this is it. And you're trying to kind of like hide the, the anticipation on your face because you don't want to be internally disappointed. But at the same time, you know, you're like, all right, this is probably going to be it. And so you rip it open. Yeah. And it's a pair of socks. Okay, listen, there will come a time in your life when that is a great gift, I promise you. Um, <laughs> I promise you, socks are lit, people, okay? But, I mean, come on. Tell me, has anyone, has anyone experienced that? Yes, no, maybe so? Sir, sir. What was, what, what was yours? What, what did you want that you were super disappointed when you found out what it was? Okay, okay. All right, all right. Yes, sir. Yeah, wanted a bike and I got something worth about five bucks. Epic. That seems like a tra fair trade off there. So what do you guys do in that moment? What happens? What happens when you're like super pumped about this amazing, fantastic gift that you get, and then all of a sudden it ends up being just totally disappointing? What do you do? You hide the disappointment on your face. Ma'am, act like nothing happened. Yes, you in the back. Okay, so she takes a little bit different approach. All right, I got you, I got you, I appreciate it. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. I think in life, this seems to happen a lot with Jesus. We're told from a young age, you start in Sunday school, if you've been around New Life for more than 10 minutes, you've probably been in Sunday school, grew up through kids camp, went through all of the things, and you're told God gives you great gifts and he just wants to bless you and he loves blessing his children. And here's the thing, you go through this process of life and then all of a sudden, one of two things happens. Either life doesn't work out how you thought it would at all. You end up moving states, moving cities, leaving your friends, leaving the family that you know. And it becomes super hard. As we talked about in week one, junior high is awkward. Can I get a shout for that? Yes, come on. 
yep, 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 no. Listen, here's the thing. I was the ultimate awkward junior high kid. Buzzed hair, crazy braces, acne out the wazoo. I had like this ninja shirt that I thought was the coolest thing ever. Turns out it was not. No one told me though. And I, I love to pair my ninja shirt with like camo BDU pants and boots and walk around saluting people because I thought that was cool. Now, that did not, I mean granted, granted. <laughs> It did not necessarily earn me any friends in the senior high school department, okay? But I think we go through life, and we have these expectations on Jesus. Now, where they came from, maybe they're good. Maybe they're our own created expectations. But we have these expectations on Jesus. And then when they don't happen, what do we do? We pretend they don't exist. We kind of turn our back. We kind of hide we're like, ah, it's no big deal, Jesus. <laughs> it ain't no thing, it ain't no thing, it's fine, it's fine. But internally, you are shattered. Your life is falling apart. Mom and dad are getting a divorce. Brother is somewhere out there doing something crazy. Parents won't even tell you everything that's going on, but you know something's going on. Because you ain't dumb. You know something's going on. A lot of backdoor whispering conversations. A little secret, some secret squirrel stuff. <laughs> you know, you know those conversations. You just kind of go to the bathroom once or twice, maybe kind of lean into the door, and then you just lean back to the bathroom. But we're super disappointed. And we act as though if God doesn't know what's up. We kind of pretend that like, oh, if I hide this from Jesus, he doesn't know what's going on. Jesus will just think it's like your aunt that gave you $5 when you wanted a bike. And you're like, oh, thank you, auntie. And she's like, oh, you're so welcome. See, Jesus isn't stupid. Jesus isn't dumb and Jesus is not your auntie with $5 because she's cheap. Jesus knows that you're disappointed. But I think this is how we have approached the Christian life. We place expectations on God and when life fails, we this, this envisioned, beautiful, forecasted, Disney Channel life that we've wanted doesn't actually end up happening. What happens? We feel like we can't be real with God. We feel like there's, there's this blockage there. Like, I, I can't, I don't want to burden God. Maybe God just doesn't care. Maybe he's not going to listen. He already failed. So we walk away with just this shattered faith. So I want to tell you guys a story about a really, uh, we're going to do this hopefully without crying, but uh, about a really cool gift that I got. So growing up, as we established in week one, I did not come from a great home. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Tectonic turmoil was the words that I used. Um, it was a typhoon of chaos. It was absolutely nuts. My family life was a disaster. Um, dads were in and out of the house. Some were emotionally abusive. Others were physically abusive. It just, it, you weren't sure. Were you going to get screamed at today? Maybe you were going to get beat today. Who knows? I didn't, you know, one or two black eyes later, you'd figure it out. We talked about this in week one. So for years, my prayer was God. Give me a dad. Give me a dad. Folks, there's a firm difference between a father and a dad. Father can be an obligation. Dad is someone who loves you, who cares for you, who blesses you, who wants to hold you, who cherishes you. I did not know what that was like. I, I went through life, and I would watch my friends with these amazing dads. I just could not process what that was like. Having a dad come up and give me a hug, tell me that he loved me, tell me that he was proud of me, 
foreign concept. Absolutely foreign concept. My uh, stepdad, stepdad number one, was, uh, was pretty rough. Um, now granted, he had some mental issues, so I understood that, but, uh, but pretty rough. Uh, asked him to go and play catch one day. I was like, Dad, I just want to go and play catch. Would you go and play catch with me? And his response was, I don't play catch with little girls. You want to talk about destroying somebody's self-esteem. It crushed me. I was like, well, my dad really doesn't love me, does not want me. So then you would fast forward to this idea of, like, people talking about how God is this great dad. I'm like, yeah, well, I really don't think so. Uh, And my opinion on dads isn't so great. So move on. This idea that God just wants to bless me. I'm like, yeah, that's not necessarily true. God wants to bless me if everything lines up correctly and I have performed all the correct actions. I didn't understand the concept. Then, fast forward, oh, 15, 17 years, give or take, and uh, my mom comes up and she tells me, she's like, sweetie, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, okay, mom, like, well, what, what's going on? And she's like, I'm dating. <laughs> Girl. Okay. First off, I wasn't real thrilled on this. No offense to mom, but, uh, you know, track record wasn't exactly in our favor on this one. So uh, I was like, Mom, the last couple haven't exactly been winners, so I think I should get a vote in this, okay? Uh, Number two, uh, I'm a mama's boy, okay? I am not ashamed to admit that. I'm a mama's boy wholeheartedly. I'm like, you can't date. Who is going to take me to Starbucks when I need to go to Starbucks? Am I 20-something years old? Yes. Do I have my own car? Also, yes. Do I want my mom to take me to Starbucks because I don't feel like driving? Absolutely. Who is going to make me pancakes in the morning when I wake up and I'm too tired to do anything? That's my mom's job. I'm also hungry right now, so if you wanted to go make dinner, that'd be cool. We can talk about it afterwards. Who's going to do my laundry? I don't want to have to go do that. It smells. That's not my job. Look, I am a loving mama's boy wholeheartedly. So I tried to avoid this idea. That and, I mean, come on, let's be honest. The idea as an adult of your parent dating, there are just some things I don't need to process in that. Like the fact that some dude wants to hold my mom's hand in public, I'm like, "Uh, uh, uh." but why? Like I've seen her in her moo-moo. Like, bro, do you know what this transforms into at night? Like I think you should probably get a preview. Um, Bless her. I love my mom. I hope she doesn't listen to this online. (laughs) All the same, you know, Mother's Day's coming up. We'll make for it with some flowers and chocolates. Uh, all the same. So one day, uh, I was getting ready to go for a run, and I hear this gentleman come into my house, and I'm like, oh, he's here. Oh. So I, like, shimmy on my shorts real quick. I'm like, I'm going to be out of the house before this, before this boy notices me. So I come, like, shimmying down the stairs, and there he is. I was like, oh. Now, there's two ways this could have gone. I could have been nice, could have been, you know, loving, uh, embody the, the characteristics of a good Christ follower, embracive and understanding, or <laughs> I could not. You know, and I would love to tell you that I chose the honorable road, um, but it's, it's bad to lie from the pulpit, so I can't say that. So here's what happened. This dude is standing there, and I come running downstairs, and he's like, hi, I'm Eric. And I'm like, yep. 
And I just stare at him. I give him like the nastiest, just awful, like, like Brenda eye is what I call it. Like that nasty office lady that has a problem with everybody, Brenda eye. And I'm just like giving him Brenda eye. I'm like, yep, uh-huh, you're Eric. He's like, well, uh, so, so I'm dating your mom. I'm like, uh-huh, what of it? And I got to give him points, though. He was relentless. He goes, well, I, I was just thinking as the man of the house, maybe I could take you out for a, for a round of golf and we could talk about it. This is, I'm never going to turn down a free round of golf. All right, all right. I'm like, here's the thing. I'm a gentleman at heart. I'm like, this man has extended courtesy and a gift. It would be improper of me not to receive said gift. And really, I just wanted a free round of golf. So I'm like, all right, cool. Fat boy wants to uh, pay for some golf. I'll, uh, I'll take him out. Um, and he's standing there in a Broncos T-shirt. That was a problem for me, too. Uh, Remi yeah, you know, I don't do the sports. I don't do the sports. So it, it, it could have been any team, bro. It could have been the Cowboys or the Bears. That's about what I know before I started saying things wrong. It could have been any team. So we go out to, uh, to golf with him. And what ended up happening was for the first time in my life, a man accepted me as dad. He very quickly became the greatest, most cherished gift of my life. He embraced me, he blessed me, he loved me. There was absolutely no restriction on that. I couldn't even fathom that at one point in time. He walked up to me one day, I was filling out med school applications, and he walked up and he gave me this big hug and he said, son, I just want you to know, whether you ever become a doctor or not, you've made it in my eyes. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, are you, are you telling me I'm going to fail? And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I just want you to know, like, you don't have anything to prove to me. I'm like, oh, what is this? Y'all ever see, uh, you remember the, the movie The Grinch, okay, at the end, when his heart's like, and his heart's like growing three sizes? Like, this was the progression of Eric. was like, my heart just kept getting filled, and I would watch him. He was such a Jesus-loving person. All he wanted in his life was people to know Jesus and to know that Jesus loved them. He would drive around on his lunch break handing out food and Bibles to the homeless. He would create Bible studies for free pie night, mind you. But he would create Bible studies. He was just this amazing man. Um, go ahead and put the, the picture up there. Um, so, so um, there's that stupid Bronco shirt again. Obviously, I am tastefully dressed as a proper gentleman, okay. Um, so this was us. This was out on our property, and uh, we were... Uh, we were going shooting that day. Uh, I'm not actually sure why we took that picture, but nonetheless, um, do we have the other photo? Is there two photos? Okay. Um, so, Dad was profoundly Scottish. Have we talked about that before? Dad was profoundly Scottish. So, really important. Really important to know. Dad was profoundly Scottish. The reason this is important is because when I was in college, I would call him every day. I would talk to him almost every day. At one point in time, my mom actually started to get a little offended because mama's boy turned into daddy's boy. And she's like, you know, you can call me too. I'm like, yeah, but I got dad, so you're old news. Um, so I want to talk to dad. Um, and uh, I remember there was this time where uh, I got fired from a job. <laughs> Only job I ever got fired, and I would like it noted on the record that they did come back with a public apology uh, because it was a wrongful termination. But nonetheless, I was fired from my first job. I didn't even know what that was like. I've never been fired from a job before. So what did I do? 
It's like, well, I'm, I'm going to call dad. I'm going to call dad. I'm going to tell dad. So I call my dad. And again, mind you, he's very Scottish. So I was like, dad, I got fired from the pizza place. And without missing a beat, he goes, Ugh! Tell me what her name is. What is the name of your manager? I will come down there and I will chop that heifer down at her hooves. And I'm like, Dad, here's the thing. I understand that, like, in Scotland, that might work. One, you can't call people heifers here. That's considered rude. Two, you definitely cannot come to a public college campus with a Scottish broadsword and cut somebody down at their hooves, okay? That does not work. Security will tackle you. He's like, oh, your security's weak. They can't stop me. And I'm like, Dad, no, please don't. I will handle this on my own. But it was just great to get to know that I had Dad. The day before I left for college, he came up and he gave me a big hug with tears in his eyes. No one has ever cried over me leaving before. That was a new sensation. Um, I wasn't sure if it was joy or if it was sadness. He gave me this huge hug and he, he pushes me back and he says, son, I just, I want you to be careful and know that I love you. And then he handed me $500 and a gun and he said, don't tell your mom. And I mean, talk about, what a great dad gift, right? Like, all right, buddy, you're going to college, here's 500 bucks and a pistol, don't tell mom. Um, that's, what a great dad gift. So fast forward, we're now, uh, we're now at Thanksgiving and I'm at my new hospital job. I'm working at a crazy ER uh, in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm in a trauma bay, and I'm actually working a cardiac arrest, and we're going, and this, this guy is, is pretty much dead. We're trying to save him. And my manager comes in, and she says, Zach, I, I need you to take a phone call. And I'm like, well, Cheryl, right now is not really a great time. Can we talk about it in a minute? She's like, Zach, I need you. I'm like, oh, okay. So I leave the trauma bay. And I walk out, and it's my mom on the phone. And she said, honey, honey, I need you to come home. Dad's not breathing. He's, he's, he's passed out, and he's not breathing. So I said, okay, I'm on my way. I talked to Cheryl. I dropped the phone. I ran out. I had no money. I was a poor college student. I had less than no money. I had a scooter that got stolen on a Christian campus. Be fair warned. I had no money. I called a friend and I said, hey, hey, Nick, I need to get to Colorado tonight. I have no money. I can't give you any gas. I have no idea if you have work or school in the morning, but I need to get to Colorado tonight. My dad is not breathing and he is not conscious. Without missing a beat, this boy said, I'll be there in 10. I don't know how he got there in 10 because I know where we lived. I don't know how he got there in 10, but he did. Showed up with a duffel bag of clothes and we drove through to Colorado. And I sat there. On the way to Colorado on a snowy night, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, don't do this to me. Do not do this to me. I have gone through hell and back with you. Do not do this to me. Do not take my dad. You gave me this gift. Do not take my dad, Jesus. I know you can heal him. I know you can save him. I was quoting every Bible verse that could possibly come to mind. And about uh, two hours outside of Sedona, the phone rings again. I see it's my mom. Now, folks, I work in trauma medicine. I know what the statistical probability of this is. My mom is giving me updates on the phone that she thinks are probably really helpful uh, as a medical person. They're just absolutely devastating to me, but I don't have. She's like, honey, dad's purple, so he still has color. I'm like, that's not good. 
like, I, I don't have the courage to tell her, like, this is not good. And so I'm crying out. I'm like, Jesus, I know you can heal him. I know you can do the things. And then that phone rings again. And I answer it, and I'm like, hello. And I hear my mom on the phone. And she said, honey, honey, I'm so sorry. He just couldn't make it. They worked him for almost two hours. But he didn't make it. Your dad's dead. I now have another four and a half hours to go before I get back to Colorado. You want to talk about the most painful, awful, anxiety-ridden drive of my life. It was awful. So this brings me to my first point. When we go through the process of lamenting, lamenting is the idea that we have to embrace that there is a need in our life that may have been ripped away and is not being met. See, as we established earlier, life is not all sunshine and rainbows. When I got back to Colorado, after I saw my mom, it was pretty tragic because I didn't actually get to say goodbye to dad. I talked to the physician that was on the phone. He went into cardiac arrest and he died at my hospital on my shift with my nurses and my doctors. The ones that I left. The night after Thanksgiving. Not a very thankful time. I got back to Colorado. I called one of my friends and I said, I need you to drive me out as far as you possibly can into the country. They drove me way, 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 way out over by Guffey. If you know where that's at, I'm so sorry. Um, it's way out there. Um, way out there. I had him park on some frontage road, and then I just started walking into the middle of the field. And I just started screaming at God. I said some pretty awful things to Jesus. I, I'm not going to lie. This was a true moment of lament. My amazing gift had just been ripped away. The only thing that I ever wanted in my life, a dad, someone who would love me, someone who would bless me, was just ripped away. I sat there and I said, God, how can you actually care about me if you want to take that away? You have failed up until this point. You have left me forsaken. You have forsaken the covenant. You have let me be mocked. The only thing I wanted from you was a dad. And you gave it to me just enough to get my chops wet, and you snatched him away. And it's rough. But here's the cool thing. In that moment, I never felt closer to Jesus. I was mad at him. Don't get me wrong. But this was a moment when God will embrace you. You see, when we look at this, this need in our life, that need is for Jesus. When we go through a process of lamenting, when we go through these hurts, these trials, these pains, it's okay to express them to God. The book of Psalms provides us with this foundation on how we can develop this theology of lamenting so that we can express kind of a holistic worship in our walk of Christianity. You see, I think we have foregone the idea uh, in the name of reverence of not approaching God with lament. We've said that God is such a holy God and he is so distinguished that I can't come to him with my pain and my sorrow. And ultimately what it has done is it has pushed God out of our lives in the very places that he wants to be in them. And that's a hard place when you're mad at him. 
How many of y'all ever had a friend that you're super mad at, but you're also like, but I still love you? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, frequently. And if you haven't, just get ready. (laughs) Lamenting is understanding that we need to embrace the need. And that need is Jesus. In diametric opposition, there's that first part that we talked about, running away. Pretending like, oh God, it doesn't bother me. It's no big deal. It ain't no thing. I'm cool. I'm good on my own. But when realistically we know that we are absolutely shattered on the inside. And you're not hiding anything from God. You can go back to week one if you want and put that mask on and pretend that you're fine. The number one thing that was written on those masks around the room was, I'm fine. I'm good. You guys wrote that stuff down as a symbolic representation of laying it down. But here's the thing. Whether you laid it down or not, God knows. God sees your heart. But now there's a process to this idea of lamenting. Okay? Hit that next slide. Not that one. There we go. God is worthy of lament because he is faithful to follow through. Ooh, and that is hard to hear in the middle of it. When you like, here's the thing. When, when you, I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but any of you in here that have lost someone close to you, um, you know you're going to get 150 really ridiculous statements coming to you right after the funeral. Um, and people have the best intentions, but they're dumb. And they don't know any better. And they walk up and they say, well, God has a purpose. And you just absolutely want to slap them in the face. You're like, if I could knock your teeth out, I would. Um, But that's not holy and that's not Christian, so I'm not going to. (laughs) Thank you, bless you. Um, But you don't want to hear, oh, God had a purpose and your loved one dying that you loved and cared for. You don't want to hear that, well, God is faithful and just. All is true. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what you want to hear. So embracing this idea that God is worthy because he has follow through is one of the most challenging things that you're ever going to do. But we're going to back this up because here's the thing. Go to the next slide, uh, Psalms uh, 1. Yeah, so if we go back to the beginning of the Psalms. Now here's the thing. The psalmist here, we don't know a whole lot about this particular psalmist. We know that uh, it was probably uh, not David, but we don't know a whole lot about who wrote this particular psalm. But Let's read from the beginning. Oh, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will speak your faithfulness known to all generations. I will declare that your love stands forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. We're going to come back to that. I have sworn to David, my servant, that I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through generations. The heavens praise your words, Lord, your faithfulness too. In the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours. 
and yours are also the earth. You founded the whole world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Those are mountains. Your arm is endowed with power and your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you and who walk in the light of the presence of the Lord. Now that's a little bit more joyful than that second half that we just read a few minutes ago, right? It's kind of a weird, like, homeboy's a little bipolar here. Like on one hand, he's like, Jesus, you are amazing. And then he's like, but you're awful. But I love you. Like, y'all ever know those people in your life? You see them at school walking down the hall, and you're like, I just don't know how Linda's going to act today. Like, it's, it's really a 50-50 toy cost. Like, you're like, good morning. I hate you. Okay, all right, have a great day. And then other days, you're like, oh, I'm not going to see her. And she's like, good morning. And you're like, is this where I die? Um, why are you so nice to me? It kind of feels like that sometimes with the Psalms, when they're going back and forth. But there is purpose to this. You see, the lament starts with who God is. It starts with knowing his faithfulness. Lamenting is not just complaining. Lamenting is an expression of deep grief and sorrow to someone who we know has a different character. That's why we're lamenting to him. See, translation, God, this is why I'm so upset with you, because I know who you are. I know what you've got for me. I know what your word says. I know what your character is, and this is out of character for you. And that's where we get into verse 38. You see, when I was out in the field yelling at Jesus, I'm sure the deer that were off in like the background were just like, bro, that dude has some issues. Don't go over there, Phil. Don't go over there. They went and ate acorns somewhere else because they're like, nah, nah. We'll go, we'll go back tomorrow night. We're going to let him go through whatever he's going through. Before I was sitting there screaming at Jesus, the precursor to that conversation was, God, I know you. I know where you've blessed me. I've watched you work. I've watched your hand on my life. I've watched where you've delivered me. I've watched where you've saved my family. I've watched where you've taken me from the pit. I have watched in moments where I should be dead because I crashed a car on the side of the road due to my own fault. And I watched God save me. God, I know the gifts that you give me. I watch the gifts that you give other people. You're beautiful, Jesus. I know who you are. I know the splendor. I know the connection I have with you when I worship with you, when I seek your heart. So this is why I'm so upset with you. And that's where we jump in to verses 38 through 51. And the psalmist starts to talk and present about the current pains and the current existence. So many times in life we have these ideas, and when they don't happen, we feel like God failed. But what we have to understand is, first off, and believe me, this pains me as much as it does you, but it's still truth. God's time is not our time. His ways are not our ways. I have yet to figure out how to create. Working on it, I think that would be so dope to just, like, walk up and be like, 
sweet, person missing their leg, bam, <laughs> and they've got a leg. Um, I think that would be epic. That would be, like, so cool. At the same time, I have not figured that out yet. If you happen to know that process, I would love to chat with you. Let's get into a dissertation about it, um, but I haven't figured it out yet. So we, we don't know what God is doing. Now, I'm not saying that God is stealing anything from you. God is not masochistic. God is not evil. His character is unchanging. And that's really important to remember. See, sometimes we have to remember that there is redemption after the, 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 the lament. We, we lament, we're sad, and there comes a redeeming factor. Maybe you didn't lose a loved one. Maybe life is just going through the ringer for you, and all of a sudden, at the end of things, it turns out to be okay. Life's legit. You, you start to figure it out. You're like, oh, cool, there's some redemption to that. Other times, and I think this is the harder one for us to understand, and still trust Jesus. There is redemption, but we may not see it on this side of eternity. And that is really challenging, especially when there's unanswered questions. Because we are a people of why. We are a why people. We have been predicated to ask the question, why? In the United States especially, we have been given this idea of liberty and freedom and taught to question. It's not necessarily a bad thing. If someone tells you, sit down. Why? I don't feel like it. Until there's an answer. You say, don't speed. Why? I like it. My car goes fast. Chop it down. So you flip your car on the side of the road, and then you get to come see me at midnight. <laughs> that ain't going to be a good day. We're taught to ask why. And I think there's a real challenge of trusting Jesus and embracing him when whatever situation we're left with ends up leaving questions. God, how are you going to orchestrate this? Maybe your loved one died. Maybe you went through a crazy abuse situation. And you're like, God, how is there a redeeming factor in this? What? point is this going to play in my story? Why did I have to suffer that? There is no good point to suffering through this. There's no redeeming factor to this. And truthfully, I will tell you, I'm so sorry to those of you who have. I know some of you in this room have gone through it. You can't tell me you haven't. I sat in junior high. Junior high was one of the worst times of my life. I wouldn't trade it and go back for nothing. I hated it. It was rough. Junior high was when a lot of the hurt and pain and scars that I have today was established. So I know some of you have been through it. But then there's the idea that we have to understand that sometimes the redeeming factor after the lament happened, but we just didn't see how it happened. You see, there is no redemption for the fact that my dad is not here anymore. He's dead. He ain't coming back. I've sat there so many nights. Bro, I prayed over the urn. I ain't going to lie. I did. I was like, okay, this is kind of creepy, but at the same time, it would be so cool, Jesus, if, like, prayed over this urn and, and then, like, an airbender thing was like, and dad's ashes, like, flew up, and he's like, oh, that was a good nap, wasn't it? Um, I was like, that would be so epic. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Um, also, I might have pooed a little bit. Uh, that would have been like, ah! uh, If any 
of you ever happen to have that happen in your life? Again, I would love to talk about it. I would love to know. There is no redeeming factor to the fact that dad's dead. He's gone. I deal with that pain every day. It hurts. It stabs. Every Father's Day when I watch people come through hugging their dad, talking about how great Father's Day is, it is just a consistent, painful reminder of the gift that I had that was snatched. Every Thanksgiving now is no longer about cranberry sauce, turkey, and wonderful smells. All I can think of is sirens and bad phone calls. It's tainted. But here's the thing. Pastor Tim talked about this. God will meet us in our lament, but he won't leave us there. He will meet us, but he won't leave us. So what was the redeeming factor through this process of dad? Well, yes, it's painful that he's not here with us. But man, did my idea on Jesus change. Did I get to see through this man here in a way that I couldn't trust Jesus? I just couldn't see it. He was telling me, but I just couldn't fathom it. So he gave me a physical representation of what a good dad looked like so that I could have a glimpse into how much greater the Heavenly Father is and what he's going to do. See, I got to change my perspective on, oh, wow, this is what God is. This is why God loves us. Oh, I get it now. He just wants to bless you. He just wants to love you. In the most disparative moment of your life, he's not going to leave you. Why? Because he's dad. Why would he? Beforehand, I couldn't grasp that. But now it makes so much more sense. When I come in my prayer time to the throne of the Father, it's no longer approaching God. It's approaching dad. I'm your prince. You're my king. Jesus, holy one, but one that loves me. See, the redeeming factor wasn't something that I immediately recognized or realized. And it took three years to get to that point to recognize and to realize that. Sometimes the redemptive of the work of the cross is not in our lifetime, but that doesn't change the fact that God's faithful and just and he'll care for us. <laughs> you see, in, uh, in 2 Samuel... 7 through 12, I'm not going to read it, it's kind of long, but there's this process, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he gives him this prophecy and he says, basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it, this is not necessarily theologically paraphrased, so don't knock me afterwards, but basically what he says is, hey David, your line is going to be forever, your royalty is going to be forever. I'm making a covenant with you. It'll actually go down in, in uh, eschatology as, as known as the Davidic covenant. You can study it. See, God, God's never going to leave us. And he's always going to follow through. Now you say, okay, but what about Israel? Like, do we, see, do we see the line of David on the throne today? I bet you we do. Through Jesus Christ. We trace the line of David down through Solomon, down to the child that was born. We find Jesus, the ultimate high king who will reign forever and ever, who is, who was, who will ever be, who is unchanging, who is the God of the universe, the alpha, the omega, the provider. That is your Jesus. That is David's covenant being fulfilled. Is it in the way that David thought? I'm guessing no. 
You see, when he talks about your line, your reign will be there forever. He's not talking about the physical aspect of a throne. That can be overthrown. What he is talking about is saying, hey, you're probably not going to get this. You're not going to understand this. But here's the thing. I'm making a promise with you that your line will be the high priest. You will be king forever. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus coming into our lives, friends. The band wants to go ahead and come up. We're going to hit our last point here. See, at the very end of the psalm, there's one last passage we see. Psalm, 50, psalm 89, 52. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. You see, the psalmist goes through this process where he starts and he's, he's basically telling God, hey, I know who you are and I know what your process is and I know what your heart is about and I know the characteristics of you, but what's going on is not lining up because I'm in despair. My life is going through the ringer. You've overthrown me. My enemies are laughing at me. They're mocking me. And he goes through the lament. But then at the end, there's part three. The smallest part, but the most profound. Praise be to God forever. Amen and amen. See, friends, at the end of the day, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how messed up your life is. And it may look like the tides of life are just crashing over you and you're drowning. I get it. But there's a need in your life, and that's Jesus. Because he's faithful to follow through forever and ever. Amen. So what do we do when the experiences of our life don't match up with the promises of God's character? What do we do when the precious gifts that we have are snatched away from us and we feel like our heart is literally just pouring blood onto the ground and we feel like there's nothing left and a thousand hot daggers just went through your soul? <sighs> Hit that next slide. We lament. See, this is a beautiful moment to be human the Psalms invite us in to another characteristic of Jesus. This isn't just all the fluffy flowers and rainbows and praise of Despo. This is, this is when it gets rough. This is when it gets real. This is when we press in to God. This is when we jump over into Hebrews and we see in Hebrews 11, there's this whole list of people. This is by faith, by faith, by faith. And he lists off all these giants of faith. But none of them ever actually saw their promises come to pass in this lifetime, but that did not exclude them from jumping in and pressing into God. Hebrews 12 tells us this, cha uh, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Brothers and sisters, my challenge to you tonight is don't lose heart, lament. Press in and lament. When you're going through the ringer, press in and lament. Don't run from God. Don't say, God, I'm done with you. I've had it. I get it. I've been there. It's only going to get rougher if you can get this down now. 
that these are the moments when your very soul is ripped out of your chest that you say, I'm going to press in. Jesus, I'm going to seek you. And I have no other reason to seek you than I'm told to seek you, but that's fine because I'm going to think it until I do it. It's kind of like Nike. Baby, you just got to do it sometimes. That's all it comes down to. How many of you in here are athletes? Okay. Y'all know when your coaches push you to the limit and you're like, I can't do it, coach. Uh, and there's like snot and slobber coming down your face and you got the leg cramp and you're like, Ugh. and you're like, I can't do it anymore. And your coach is like, no, go take a lap. And you're like, oh, that's what it's like pressing into Jesus sometimes. But ultimately at the end, what does it make an Olympic athlete? It makes you a winner. It makes you run the race worthy. Because you got a cloud of witnesses around you of people that have been through it. People that know what you're going through. That actually really do care. That you can hold on to. That you can press into. See folks, if God really is I am, then he'll take the sorrow and he'll turn it into joy. Because as we said, he'll meet you, but he won't leave you. He'll meet you in the lament. And he'll draw close, because his scripture says, I draw close to those that are brokenhearted. Remember the passage of Psalm from week one where we talked about he holds your tears in a glass vial. He'll meet you. Brothers and sisters, as we get ready to worship tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to come forward, come find a leader. Go ahead and stand up with me. Be real. I know some of you are going through stuff. This is an opportunity for you to pray with somebody, to come and say, hey, you know what? I'm weary in my faith here. I'm in the process of lament. I need someone to hold my hand. Pray with me. I don't get it. I don't care how big or small that is. This is your moment. If you're not ready for that, that's cool. Have a conversation with Jesus. If you are, let's pray about it. You see, lament is the cry of the heart of the believer as a response to the brokenness of the world that we live in. But moreover, it's the cry of an informed heart based on the truth of God's character, his conduct, and his covenant. His relationship with Jesus is a give and take. We soak in glory and we breathe out praise. You've heard John Egan say that a hundred times. We soak in glory and we breathe out praise. And sometimes that praise looks like sorrow and lament. But brothers and sisters, a cultivation of discernment is far better than the commanding of decrees. It is not our place to tell God what he is to do, but it, rather it is a place for us to come and embrace him, discern the Holy Spirit, figure out where he is moving in our lives and connect with him. We cultivate discernment. We soak in glory, and we breathe out praise. And at the end of that lament, we say forever and ever, amen and amen. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.